The Team Never Quit podcast is sponsored by Navy Federal Credit Union. You can finance, buy, protect, and enjoy your auto purchase all through one convenient place. Learn more at NavyFederal.org slash car buying. All right, everybody, welcome back to the TNQ podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luttrell. Every week, it's my job to fire you up, to ignite the legend inside of you, and to push you to your greatness. Join me every week as I take you into my briefing room with some of the most hard-charging people on the planet. They're going to show you how to embrace the suck of life, teach you the values of working your ass off, and charge through whatever life throws at you. This is the Team Never Quit Podcast. Podcast. So buckle up, buttercup. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Team Ever Quit Podcast. Today we're doing things a little bit different. If this is your first time ever listening to the podcast, make sure you guys go back, check out last week's episode. We had Dr. Donnelly Wilkes on, but that was just part one. This week we're picking up where we left off. Dr. Donnelly Wilkes is the author of Code Red Fallujah, the founder of Summit Health Group. Without further ado, let's get back to his story. But as a sidebar, you know, you talked about us uh, hanging out. One of the, the, the more fun parts of my deployment were some of the special forces guys would come through from all different countries. And I love that, you know, Aussies. Oh, they're great. Brits. They're great too. All of them. I think some, some, uh, some Poles and, um, you know, they'd come through not for very long and, uh, they'd grab us and say, Hey doc, come here, show me what cry kits you got. Show me, show me how you use yours. Can we have a couple? You know, of course, happy to do that. And then they'd take us out a couple of times to their, uh, firing ranges, you know, they just set up. Oh yeah, that's the thing. It was great. And I got to shoot, you know, some of the sniper rifles and their machine guns and whatever weapons they were carrying, throw some grenades, things like that. It was, it was a blast. We were taught that. Since we get there, walk in, find y'all, buddy up with yeah. you, let you do all the stuff that they won't let you do because yeah. when we come crashing through the door, we want you to know who, because it's a scene, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> we want the boss to be like, just let them in, all right? We need some help. It was funny. I didn't even know who they were at, at first because that's that's the way you guys roll. But they, you know, took a side. Nicest guys ever. Played one of them played guitar for us. And I said, "Wow, you're yeah. tough, but man, you got some skills. That's definitely intelligent a give and take. too." Okay, I'll go back to. Um, so after Lieutenant Jackson died, so that event happens. Um, night falls. Days events have transpired. It's pretty heavy. And then, you know, I'd hop in the back of the ambulance, usually, usually on a stretcher, sleep. Navy corpsmen, some Marines, would, they'd sleep on the ground outside. Sometimes one of them would join me in the ambulance. So that night, I'm, I'm sitting there, and battle's going on still. You know, you'd hear gunfire break out. Maybe bombs would drop, helicopters, et cetera. So it's just all playing out. And I just have this, I have this thought that I'm hanging on too tight to something. And I don't know exactly what, but I know something's got to change. I've got to release something because I hadn't fully accepted my fate and I wasn't quite all the way in. And that's, that's how I describe it. I was, I was still part of the way in with where I was and what I was doing and what the next day would bring. And I just said, hey, Wilkes, you got to be all the way in right now or you're going you're gonna to just do something stupid or emotionally not make it, what have you. And I said that to myself and I also prayed about it 
And I said, all right, that's it. If I'm supposed to be here, if this is my fate, you know, that, it, that I signed up for, but didn't sign up for, then so be it. Everything else goes out the door. Why me things? I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't expect to see this much trauma, this much death, those kind of things are out the door. I'm all the way in right now. Got on my knees in the back of the ambulance. Never forget the, the cold, grainy, you know, dirt on my kneecaps. And I just said, God, give me the strength I need. I need to be all the way in, whatever happens. Life, death, and, and really okay with where I'm at. Because I remember, you know, I laugh about it now. I remember thinking to myself, man, if I die, if I get dead, I'm going to be really pissed. I went through med school and right. <laughs> residency <laughs> and all this training. I met the girl. She's back home. I'm going to be really pissed off, God, if I don't make it back. <laughs> so I'm having, I'm having those thoughts. But, but part of it was real, you know? Part of it, I felt like that. I kind of I wanted my cake. I wanted to have my cake and eat it, too, a little bit. I wanted to have that glory. Loved wearing the uniform. Loved me being with the Marines and wanted to come back in one piece. And kind of have it guaranteed, yeah. you know? Sure. And so that changed that night. Beautiful woman at home and come back. Oh, well, doesn't oh. in the Bible it says to command it? Wait, you know, command yeah. your will. Yeah. That you're gonna. That's right. I actually had a moment too. I think every guy does. Yeah. There's a, and they're they're different. There's the one where the trauma comes in and that brings the shift, and then there's one. I was sitting there too. I was like, okay, you can because you try to half-ass it, you'd be halfway tired. Yeah. There's a there's an in between. It's like a little bit of the old you're holding on to, it. and I was like, yeah. all right, man, we're gonna do this all the way. We're going to live it, breathe it, eat it. They make movies about it. This is what they're going to do. About this is how it's lived. This is the light. That's the life. Yeah. It's like trying to live both of them out there. That's not, but that's, it doesn't work that way. You said you had a similar moment. Can I ask at what point that was for you? That was so similar to yours. Mm -hmm. When everything's going crazy yeah. and, I, and you're like, well, there's a warm, this, it's always, there's that. Yeah. Right. But then I, I was just sitting there, I was like, no. You kind of find yourself a little bit, and you're asking, like, all right, this yeah. is what we're going to do. It's like, we're going to go all the way. Yeah. We're going to do this. I mean, live it, eat it, breathe it. That's all we are. When people yeah. refer to us, there's that, right? There's a difference. Yeah. There's, there's, I, I love explaining, like, the men in the family. There's the guys in the family you can joke around with, and there's ones you don't mess with. You don't, even, don't play with that guy. Yeah. Right? And it, once you commit it, it's, that, it's almost like making rank, because then you understand, like, it is different. And there's a peace that comes. It's complete peace. To me. That's, it's like that's your house, was. right? Because you weren't you were out there the whole time. It's not like back at, here when you get to go home at the end of the day, or you have a rotational shift that you you know you're in and out, and then kind of take a break. You're living in you're living in the house. Right. Like you're in it. And once that peace settled in, I knew it was real. There was nothing. You feel it. There was nothing, you know, that was contrived or that was not real. It was 100 percent as real as the air I breathe. And you know. I, I got up and off my knees and I felt the change. I felt the wave. I knew I wasn't miraculously going anywhere. There was only one way back. That was forward. Th through it. But my heart was changed. My heart yeah. and that translated to my mind. And uh, for, for the rest of you know, my time at the Cloverleaf and, and the deployment uh, that night got me to where I needed to be. And um, of course, I am thankful that I had that moment because I just think things could have been a lot different. So that was a great moment. Well, and if you're not in it 100% with your heart and your mind, then that is when casualties happen. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Where because I'm, you're not f fully focused on bet. it. That's right. Well, you think about it, there's a casualty. As, like a, as, a, as a TV, like you're watching it, like a, 
That's how it was for me. And then I'd be like, well, I think you're supposed to do this, as opposed to when it comes in there, you're in the moment. That's it, just, just what I, just what we do. And then that, as soon as that switch is flipped, you know how it works now. Now we, once it gets activated, you go into right. it. And, and the hardest part was switching it backwards. Learn how to. <laughs> but that's faith too. Like, <laughs> Like if your faith, if you're just in your mind, like, oh yes, I'm a believer. And you just, you, you know, do the movements yeah. of believing, but until your heart is really in it as yeah. well, like you need to jump both feet forward and so you're not faith. just going through the motions. You're not just going through the motions. Right. You have to truly believe it and well, feel it. Yeah. No, knowing, believing, and then understanding. Yeah. yeah. And then once you get that, then there's all the rest of it's gone. There's no other, there's no other way. I wanted, I was trying to steer the ship. I wanted to steer that ship more than I should have. Yeah. Or they didn't even realize, really. That's probably a better way to describe it, is more than I even realized. I wanted to steer that ship, but that, that ship was steering itself, the deployment, life, you know, you name it. But, but you know, I think as a physician um, and in any occupation, you know, you do, you want to control things, you know, and you're trained how to control a lot of it. And how to how to take action and make decisive decisions decisions that that make a big difference in the outcome, and then there's those points where everything goes to hell and you you have no control, and you've got to recognize that, and not try to overcorrect that. Otherwise, things will go wrong. Yeah. You can't ask for a better training scenario. I mean, throw throw the doctors in here in a hurricane with people shooting at them, and throw the sand in there with them. Yeah. Because usually when you get to the hospital, it's like touching home plate. Like, oh, I made it. Because <laughs> 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 when y'all would come running out, I'd be like, it's fucking just the last thing I saw was you in that uniform. That I was like, oh, well, I'll wake up underneath the light. I'll be fine. That was the thing. Just get to the house. And, I mean, that level of calm, that's how you know your skill. Yeah. Because no matter, once you get into it and everything else disappears around you, it's just like spinning around you. It can't touch you. It's like your own energy just defeats all that for the purpose you were there. Was, was there a breath of relief for you, Marcus, when you, when you had medics hands on you and, you know, just knew that, okay, I've got IVs going in, I've got professionals around me, or, or was it still so bad that you didn't? No, 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 it's, it's funny. It was funny you said that because the first medics on my hand were me, were my, were my own. So I was like, a, I'm, I'm a horrible medic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, all the guys must hate me. Because <laughs> so I wouldn't good. take my morphine or my, oh, yeah. my gunshot cocktail because I had a head injury. Yeah. And my stomach was messed up. And Red Wing, the first medic um, to him uh, was the Army, the Green Berets. Yeah, Green Beret. That made it there on foot. That's and, right. Yeah, so um, T.O. got me. Once the, he established me, then I kind of came off, off guard. But the, the village medic and everybody had been doctoring me up, too. Yeah. Yeah, with opi- raw opium. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. Like putty. How did he administer it? Putty. Through the putty. That putty and that in green. The little, little, yeah, and that hit me in the mouth with Just it. Just put it like a putty in your uh, They were pulling the frag out of my legs, and I kept bucking. Wow. And I had me skin on my back. So they put the kids to sit on me to hold me down. But that was, I was like, what? <laughs> In my mouth, I could talk because of the blood and in my in the mud in my mouth. My, I bit my tongue out, so I was making all these weird noises. They had to thought that was comical, and that old man, one of the elders, leaned forward and dropped that in my mouth, and I was like, "What's happening?" <laughs> Hopefully, they knew the right dose. Yeah, I, I, that, that's why I thought they were laughing because I started puking real bad. Overdosed. Yeah, they overdosed me. I was just like, uh, but um, I'll never forget. On the bird and the chaos in the war, that when we fell out, the helicopter got back, we landed, and they transported me to 130. Uh, med, might have been a 141, I don't remember, but um, 
the gurney was strapped down to the plane. They slapped me on it. One guy leaned over the top of me, had an American flag hat on a hat on his hat. I'll never forget it. And then this lady leaned into me, and she goes, "Sweetie, are you in pain?" And I just could, I could smell her. You know, she yeah. just smelled fresh, like a you know, like a woman. yeah, like a woman. Sure. I, was like, I thought I was dead. And I was like, well, at first I was like, no, I'm good. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to sit up. I was like, where is she at? You know. And then she's like, let me let me take care of that pain for me. I was like, yes, ma'am. And that's the last thing I remember. And I remember being happy. That's yeah. I, I was at. I, and not that the villagers were protecting me, but I never couldn't understand which ones didn't want to. It was, oh, man, yeah. it was freaking tough, man. We when, still talk to the yeah, we're, I was still, medic that mm-hmm. made it, the Green Beret yeah, medic. Talked yeah. to a lot of them. But, um, That's great. I remember, yeah, I remember her. She put me down. She put me at ease. Yeah. It's like I think with some of us, oh, oh, I could never come off the line, right? I have to be put off the line. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. When, we, when I see y'all, that's when I know two things. One, I'm, I'm good. I'm going to make it. And, and one, I've had a hell of a day. <laughs> Things have not gone well. Right, right. We've gotten after it, that kind of thing. And um, that re- the respect I have because I, I understand a little bit of what you know. And uh, that's another thing, making friends with them. Because when they come dragging me into the hospital, when they pulled me, I knew, that's where I was working. And they couldn't believe it when I came in there. I remember some of the nurses, they, they, couldn't, they, they couldn't even work on me. They're crying. Like, I didn't. I can't even look at him. I was like, "What's, what's that?" <laughs> I must have looked a lot worse than I thought. But it was, yeah, it was something, man. We, you know, we laugh about some of these things now, and I appreciate your humor a lot. And a little, just a funny sidebar on the morphine story was our our very first uh, wounded marine when we got to the base was a marine who uh, cleared his weapon incorrectly and discharged around into the firing chamber, and shrapnel got thrown up on his legs. Anyways, it was pretty bad. And so we, we rush out right outside our gates. We load him up onto a Humvee. I tell my corpsman to give him 10 milligrams of morphine with an auto injector. So he, he does it, and we load him up. We're getting him to, back to the battalion aid station. And my corpsman says, Doc, as we're driving away, I, th- I think I injected myself. Oh, you did it upside down? You did oh, it upside down. I've seen that happen with happy pen. Oh. oh, my God. So tell him to enjoy the ride. <laughs> and he didn't have Marines in the back just still screaming, right? <laughs> he was scared to death. And the only thing he didn't do correctly was tell me right away. And so I pulled him in and I said, I won't say his name. I, I said, Corman X, listen, are you good to go to give him another dose? Because he's in pain right now. Yes. And he was scared and shaking. I said, okay, get your second auto injector and give that Marine some morphine. And he did. And he was fine, but he'd put it in his thumb uh, and he was a little woozy, but he he was fine. I've seen that. Do the thumbs, (laughs) the the (laughs) worst. If that didn't knock him out, I feel bad for the Marine that only got that. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Fortunately, he's still complaining like, man, shut up. I gave you something. I was like, I don't feel it. I don't feel it, man. (laughs) I'm good. I'm good to go, doc. It was just a few minutes, fortunately. Yeah, yeah. But some of that stuff, I mean, it's here for a reason. I mean, studying medicine, especially the history of medical trauma and, and the wars, our, our own, especially the Civil War, and what yeah. the guys had to go through, stuff, just the advancements in, in medical science and how that works is, a, is such a blessing. It is. And, you know, the forward capabilities, I think the biggest advancement I've seen in military medicine is not so much at the level of care where I was, Echelon 1, 
or even even field career, although certainly some with you know the quick clot and the, the high speed tourniquets and crike kits and things like that. But but the the biggest advancements are at that next level, you know, where you can get them to a field surgical hospital within 10 to 20 minutes and they can provide life sustaining surgeries, major surgeries right there at that at that echelon too. Of course, you know, it depends on the environment that you're in. At middle of Afghanistan, not so much, but in the Battle of Fallujah, we had surgical capabilities within minutes of the battlefield. How long were you in Fallujah? We were there for about three weeks, and then um, we pushed into the city as, as the um, Marines were pushing deeper into the city. They moved the battalion aid station into the soda factory. It's one of the chapters. The, uh, the battalion commander uh, moved his, the command center to the soda factory, one of Saddam's or the, the the city of Fallujah's soda factory, but it was it was ransacked. It was wild. It was like a science lab when you went in. That was stuck in you know in motion. The, the conveyor belts with sodas everywhere. The Marines love that, of course. Yeah. And our battalion commander purchased all the soda. I don't know who he bought it from, but I think the mayor of Fallujah. So they could drink all the soda they want, and that's where we set up our our new battalion aid station and uh, command center as um, the battle continued into Fallujah. So we were there for another few days, and then, you know, if you recall, there, there was kind of these ceasefires that didn't go too well. Not a whole lot of ceasefiring happened, but, you know, we asked for the insurgency, which was roughly about 20,000 insurgents at that time. And, Marcus, I believe you were in Ramadi mm-hmm. on your second tour. And um, some of my Marines were also in Ramadi uh, while some of the battalion was in Fallujah. And... Um, Anyways, the streets were booby-trapped expertly, so the Marines were going house to house, and then I talked to a lot of them about how difficult that was, you know, going from house to house, and the overwatches, you know, like Chris Kyle, you know, providing fire support for some of the Marines going down these streets, and just an unbelievably complex thing. I treated a num- number of Marines with, you know, some, some shell shock, some combat stress. They'd bring them to us, and I'd either say they're good to go and get back in the fight, or we'd send them back to, you know, one of the rest and relaxation tents, which I think they do a lot better these days. You know, it was talked about a lot. I was in charge of a lot of that, kind of giving briefs as we're going in into theater and out of theater about, hey, this is combat stress. This is what it looks like. If you have these symptoms, come to us. And uh, even down to, you know, the, the line um, uh, platoon commanders and such to recognize it. And uh, it, it was, I thought it was good because it'd get them out of the fight where they're more of a liability and uh, get them help and then get them back into the fight when they could. So uh, the ceasefire happened. Not, not many weapons were turned over as far as I know. And uh, we pulled back out, you know, and that was, of course, very controversial. Me, me including most of my Marines were not happy with only take, taking half the city. And, uh, of course, that didn't last long. A number of months down the road, Battle of Fallujah two went down. I was gone. I had rotated out by that time. By that time. That's, and if you study the wars enough and the battle plans, mm-hmm. Sung Tzu, first of all, you know, you read that one and it gives you a good idea of how it works. But I, was, I remember doing that, having yeah. to take some of the stuff and, and then giving it back. Yeah. Just like we were training. Like, is, that, is that we're training for war in war? That's right. It, nobody seemed to think it was a good idea. And I don't believe really, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of pressure from way high up. Oh, sure. Well, the thing, problem out there, well, they're, they're not out there with us. And then it, it's just kind of like, uh, if you know anything about the Comanche Nation, they had tribal chiefs and they had the war chiefs. Mm-hmm. It's like in the Navy, we have chiefs. Like You can have a platoon chief or 
runs the show, is in charge of that one. You pull him down, he had a ceasefire. Well, then the other one just step in and go. Or who's outranks who. And we just didn't know the slang, the culture. Each, mm-hmm. each it's like being out here, rolling to a different town, man, you get a different everything. And just for us to sit in there and set up shop and do that and, and last as long as we did is something. Unbelievable. And then, you know, to go back in and do it all over again, again in yeah. the second battle. And they did it and, you know, got the job done. So the rest of the deployment was certainly less traumatic than, than Fallujah was, uh, but there was a lot of time to go still, you know, after that, we, we did a couple ops in the cities and... Where'd they move y'all back to? We, we stayed at our, our FOB, Camp Mercury, for the yeah. rest of our deployment. Uh, we, would, we would egress to the Mech finally when we, when we left and then convoy to Al Takatam. And that's how we, we ended up leaving on a AC uh, C-130. I think I'm saying that right. But uh, there, was, there was a number of operations that were just wild. And one time my, my um, buddy, Jamie McCall, he says, hey, we're going to Garma. And we're doing this, this, this ops. It's, we're we're going to go arrest a bunch of corrupt Iraqi police because we, part of our mission was training the Iraqi police. And so my and med caps. Yeah. Yeah, we had a civil, you know, civil affairs group that would go out risk their lives every day. Oh yeah, I remember those every day. In fact, Captain McCall, I went with him one day with a suitcase of a half a million dollars in cash yeah. to go make salacious payments. That's a real thing. It's a real thing. For Many people, people don't, don't understand what we're talking about. It's like we would have to go in and we would get in a fight in the neighborhood. Imagine the gangs we have here. Well, then they would send us in to go clear that out. Yeah, and then the next day they'd have to send the civil affairs in to clean up. Yeah. The, the nice people to apologize for anything that might have happened right. while we were whipping everyone's right. ass. I killed your cow. There's a thousand yeah, bucks. Yeah, man. Your door got, your house got blown off its hinges or yep. something, right? And it was <laughs> wild. But, and then the, the police officers and then the medcaps, like we would have to go in there and train them. So on our day, down days, it didn't matter because the police officer would be getting their ass tanned to them or something would be going on. Go red. The. Not to compare it to MASH and the comedy, like the, the there's always something going on with the caches. That's yeah. why we would go over there. Yeah. I mean, just to watch. Mm-hmm. You, the stories you guys have are unbelievable. <laughs> and, I mean, because everything rotates through medical. Yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's so funny. Sorry to keep interrupting you. No, you're not. You're great. It's like, the, the best part was that Jamie, who's the lawyer who's going out to do his payments, so he's like, I don't know what a wall costs, you know? And Dolly's like, oh, well, I grew up doing construction. I'll just go with you. So these people would sometimes be like, oh, I want $500. And he'd be like, mm, that, no, that but, concrete yeah. only costs they $200, could, whatever. This is an outrage. He's like, they stole all my jewelry. <laughs> yeah. right. This door yeah. was, it's, they broke it. It's like, it doesn't look like there was ever a door here. Right. There wasn't, exactly. there wasn't. <laughs> We're sitting at a table in a little, little, you know, hut. With with the civilian and their representation, which was some kind of you know lawyer, and and me and some Marines and a half a million dollars in cash, and they'd just bargain, and I'd be in the background going, Jamie, it's just cement driveway. It's got some pock marks in it. Two hundred bucks. Okay, so check it out. You're you're actually sending, not not y'all, but a lot of times didn't depending on the age or where the kids are from into the community that have the best barters on earth. Yes. Yeah. That's all they do. That's what they do. Think about that. You're talking about a used car salesman times 100, and you're trying to go in there. They will. <laughs> it's right. unbelievable to watch them work. I learned more from watching the village elders barter with the, the commanders. They're relentless. Dude. I mean, it's amazing. 
And they're so good because they'll think, man, they're upset, but they're not. Yeah. They're great at right? what the, man, they'll just convincing, they, convincing. And it was, you know, it was abused, <laughs> but then of course there oh, was sure, a lot yeah, of good yeah. people who yeah. lost a lot. And yeah, yeah, so yeah. those are the Iraqis we were trying to help. And, uh, you know, same on the, the ops I, I started to tell you about. We, we go in and we're training the Iraqi police, a lot of them doing good things, corrupt ones. I had to give them fake medical exams and then they'd go out the door and get arrested. And um, we're going, we're, we're doing this ops in, in Garma. And then just out of nowhere, incoming rounds, mortars, boom, boom, boom. I kind of take cover in the corner of the, the building, uh, of the room we're in, and Jamie's on the other side. And we had just been looking through, it was like a field and stream magazine talking about where I'm going to hunt, where he's going to fish. And uh, <laughs> I look up and, okay, thanks, you know what, for bringing me on this ops, buddy. You know, and, right? <laughs> and we were just, we had a good laugh about it. Uh, but that's that, that was life in Iraq, you know, and then you'd get back to your base and, and you'd feel, OK, I made it home, made it through another day. And it was just wild. It was just wild. Coming back into those plywood, it was like a castle because you had it rigged up. I mean, it was like the it's funny how you go back to. Yeah. And even there. Sorry to interrupt, but this 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 story rings true because I made it back to my little plywood castle at the at the FOB. From the cloverleaf, I was rotating out. I wrote a chapter about this and, and get back for a little R&R &R and a hot, hot chower and, and some chow. And you know, been a few days, changed my underwear, did those kind of things. Huge. <laughs> Big time. Big deal. <laughs> and, um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm in, my, uh, in my room at night watching a movie. I talked to Katie on the sat phone, old school style, yeah. antenna. And it didn't last long. I think we got cut off. But... Um, the movie ends, and I push the button on my laptop to end the movie. And at the exact same time, I, I can't describe it other than it was like a hiss of a thousand snakes just is descending upon me, and then just boom, the entire, it was like a giant picked up my room and just shook it. And it was rockets, two of them, right on the money, in our fob. They had never hit anything inside the walls. And this was that first night after I got back for a little, little rest and relaxation. So I'm, you know, that one threw me down on the ground. I could have sworn it landed on our head. And, uh, you know, I get out to the BAS, a bunch of Marines comes clamoring in, and another rocket had, had hit the phone tent and ripped shrapnel through the phone tent. A few of them had shrapnel wounds, fortunately none life-threatening. And another rocket hit right in one of the, the officers' tents. I believe it was all officers. Ripped it to shreds. I walked through it the next morning. It was like a jungle canopy of light shining through. Ripped it to shreds. All those Marines were out on patrol that night. None of them wounded. So everybody was fine that night. But it just was one of those things where you were just, you were never, you're never safe. And, you know, I think earlier, Marcus, you alluded to, you know, you're, you're living at this 10 out of 10 level. And I didn't, you, you don't realize it, I don't think, why you're there, because that's normal. You, you're just surviving, and that's the human mechanism, the, the adrenaline you know, that keeps you at that 10 out of 10 or maybe an 8 out of 10 when things are calm. And then turning off that switch doesn't happen <laughs> by any means for weeks to months sometimes when you come home. Because it, ch it changes. In the beginning when the, the, those rockets are coming in, you, it's a different feeling. Yeah. And towards the end, you're sitting there just getting comfortable in your bed, and a rocket blows to your tent. Then you get mad. You're yes. like, who, who did that? <laughs> I, the, 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 the plywood home castles are the best. 
Because, like, when y'all would leave, when the docks would leave, you could tell the younger guys would be like, man, is he coming back? Because that thing's a castle mansion over there. It's got his little... And then you do some upgrades, right? Upgrades to it, right? (laughs) Yeah, the... The garbage can, and hopefully you had a desk with a dirty clothes hamper with a lid right. if it was real nice. Always upgrades. Right? So good. But you're right, you know, and that's exactly what I'd get pissed and I'd, I wrote about it. I'd cuss at him. It's like a piss. On the like, ground. Damn it, can you just stop? <laughs> and, and I, but, but there was no one to grab onto, especially for me, you know. I was, I was a non-combatant. No one to fight. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't fight back. That was a very paralyzing feeling at times. Because you know, I wanted to sometimes. I wanted to fight that's back. That's a great point. Yeah, it was well, paralyzing. Man, that's a, that is a great... I never even thought about it. That never even crossed my mind. Because the difference between us is I could get to go out and, and right. invent it. That's right. And you I, can take matters into your own hands. Right, and kind of... It, it, one thing would feed each other. You don't yeah. even have that. Yeah. Huh. And that's okay. That's not, you know, I wasn't there for that. But, you know... There was some times. You got to do and, something with it. Yeah, that's right. And, it, you know, it's mostly indirect fire, of course. I'll never even pretend I was as much in harm's way as any guy pulling a trigger. But, um, you know, there's times instinctively where I'd just, I'd carry my, you know, pistol here because it was so close and so real. And, and you know, the machine gun fire wasn't that far. And it's just an instinct kind of thing. Oh, man. But I always said, hey, <laughs> I said, hey, Corman and, and uh to my Marines who were, you know, put holding post at the Cloverleaf. I said, hey, if I ever, if I ever grab my weapon for real, something's really gone wrong. So, <laughs> number one, throw me something. Number two, get to work. <laughs> Things I think about that every day. Fast. Somebody's shooting at you and trying to kill you. Yeah. And you can't do nothing about it, right? right. It's, it gets, it's frustrating. Back. Frustrating. Especially when you're there trying, trying to help and you see everybody coming in. But, I mean, it's, it's got to eat at y'all worse than anything. Yeah. That was, that was the hardest part. for That was the most paralyzing part for me. But doing my job, of course, when I was able to put, put all those skills to work, that, that gave me that purpose. Melanie, I think you were going to ask Oh, something. I was just going to say, you have to use your fuel, your anger as fuel to save people yeah. instead of revenge and get back right. at the people. That's right. I had to channel it. Yeah. Channel it. And that came full circle when a couple times at the Cloverleaf, they brought enemy combatants through right to my position and I had hoped to God I'd never encounter it because I just didn't want to deal with it. And so they bring in three wounded insurgents, all with they're all shot up or bound. Um yet their their wounds are bad enough that they need me to check them out before they take them for processing. And that's that's you know, we're the United States. That's what we do. You know, we we treat our enemy combatants appropriately. Let's put it that way. And so I had to, you know, assess their wounds, make sure that there's nothing that didn't need to be done. Fortunately, there wasn't. I read about it in the book. Um, that I wasn't perfect there, nor now, nor ever. There's only one perfect person who ever lived, and that's Jesus. But I tried to do what I could to be a good human. And, uh, you know, this one insurgent had a festering wound with maggots in his leg. And, you know, I, I wrote plainly. I kept a field journal, and I wrote plainly. I'd like to tell you that I cleaned out the infested wound of this afflicted soul, but in good conscience, I didn't. I had my corpsman swat some flies from his face because they were buzzing all around his face. They were filthy, as you can imagine. But other than that, I just made sure he was alive and let him be, and everything else was all about the Marines. And that's okay, and I'm still fine with that. But uh, that's something that I, you know, that I wrestled with. 
So they didn't have any... I, I never really think about their side of it. They don't have any trained medics or anything on their side. They're just coming to... You, they're basically fighting us and using us for their own health. Well, we trained them too in the past, and then the Red Cross comes out. Right, you're, you're correct. And as far as like, if we get busted up, and we got something like that. No, they'll leave them in a cave, and that thing will fester, and then they'll crawl in. Yeah, like they'll desert and show up at the front. Yeah, like we have Bamsey and Walter Reed and all of that. They don't have anything like that. The only assets that I knew of and saw was, we call them the, the Red Crescent Ambulances. And they were coming in and out of the Cloverleaf. We allowed it because they were evacuating some of the insurgents and some of the civilians. But you knew they were also smuggling in weapons and we confiscated some of them as they're coming back out of the Cloverleaf. What level of medical care, I have no idea that they could provide provide and then they would take those civilians to i believe we called it the jordanian hospital and that's where they took yeah but they don't have a med plan or anything no. on the back oh, no. yeah. it's not like here so like we no place like here that's right <laughs> all of our you know we have so many amputees and all that they don't have that kind of care no no in fact th their best medical care for sure on the battlefield was us mm -hmm. oh yeah because we would process them and oh, yeah. take care of them right think about that our medical care is so good, they willingly crawl into, a, into the base. To, to yeah. And, and knowing that, that that's what we do. Yeah. You know, we're, we're not sad. So we're going to hurt them. That's true. But that's so hard. A lot of guys we were working you know with were the ones that came in. They're going to go back out there and try and kill you again. Well, you can't think yeah. about that. Trust me. Don't yeah. Think that yeah. It's like, no, don't, that's, not, that's not our lane. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's it's right. just like, it's not our lane. Yeah. But yeah, you could go hard. all day with these conversations, and they're tough. Yeah. And tough. Especially when you keep getting hit. Mm -hmm. Long we were there, yeah. Because yeah. these guys, you know, these guys were just literally trying to kill my men, and there they are, and I'm supposed to help them. That's probably why they rotate us like they do. Because if we stay there a long time, you, then you start to see what really goes on there, yeah. and it always the point, the finger always will shift to what's really going down. Yeah. And none of us were there long enough to ever see that. Yeah, yeah, right. I think you're right on the rotations. Did that ever happen in any other wars of ours where we had to help the... So everything shifted in Vietnam for whatever side? reason. It was kind of... Great question. You know, I think, you know, looking back to what the Allied forces have always done, being the peacekeepers of the world, we've always been the best at doing what we need to do to eliminate the threat and, you know, prosper freedom and the, and, and the peacekeepers. And then, and then step back. And we're not perfect, of course, and our history isn't and all that, but no one can hold their head higher than we can, is my opinion. We've done that. And you, look, you can look at history to back that up. What was unique for me historically was there was just a handful of us, and I didn't know it at the time, but there, there was just a handful of us, Navy physicians or, or military physicians in general, that were as close to urban combat as, as I ended up being. And again, I, I didn't know it. I just was like, this is war. <laughs> Man, do you need to start a camp for kids, docs to go work in the inner cities? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I just don't bother you. Yeah. yeah. Something bothers you to dig is just annoying. Yeah. That's yeah. it, because if it put us back in there, because every day after we get back and you see, it still it teaches us. Because yeah. when you come back to how great this is, and I understand, I hear people complaining about stuff, I'm like, I can't believe you're complaining about that. Mm -hmm. It's a luxury to have a 
have, that's the luxury is that you can complain about it. I mean, there's that's other places right. that don't even exist like that. And then you just keep, we kept having to go back. That's and right. then everybody who, even the bigger thing is everyone would rotate in and come back to us. You're mm-hmm. never out. Not until the rest of us are out. Right? That kind of thing. Right. And um, so it weighs on you. And you, you can see that. That also comes the way we're brought up. So the fact that the machine runs the way it does is... It's a beautiful thing. Man, and you know, the Navy has partnerships with, uh, in, in, in California with hospitals like LA USC County Hospital, which is where all gang violence and, and trauma goes down. And so before my second deployment, they sent me there for a month and I worked with the trauma team and went into surgeries and treated gunshots and all that. And I am sure the special forces come th- through there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a little camp set up right at USC and just... Best training in the world. Best training. And to your point, because you made me think of it, my opinion, everybody in some capacity should serve. And I don't necessarily mean in the military, but I'm talking every young person, maybe for a couple years, should serve in some capacity. It can be Red Cross. It can be the mailroom. It can be in the military. Because nothing can help you understand what you have as an American and what our history and our country and our men and women have done for us. Nothing can make you appreciate that more so than service, giving of yourself without expecting much in return and seeing other walks of life, people, the world, and, and providing a service to them yeah. for, for no other reason other than thank you. Well done. Now you get to go forward. I agree with that. I, I was thinking about that too, because you have to start with the kids, like the ones that are put implement that now. And, um, it was almost so because we have so much of the equipment. The problem is when we go to do humanitarian stuff and when we go to whip your ass, we show up in the same uniforms and the same stuff. <laughs> yeah. It almost needs to be like a humanitarian services kind yeah. of thing where you sign up and we, we keep you safe as you travel. Mm-hmm. But you learn so much. And at that age, it goes by so fast. It should be a thing. Two years. Because Blink you, of an eye. Two, exactly. One thing, just like that. And it, it also teaches you so much. Like if you're not ready for college, like we said, you come back out of that, man. Everything just it teaches you how to live. It's yeah. a nuclear family. In the military, we do everything else that everyone else does. Just in the morning, we got to show up to see if we made it through the day or yeah. <laughs> through the night, right? To be accounted yeah. for. And then you go, you go be a doctor, a lawyer, pass out basketballs. You can do whatever you want. Be an accountant, play baseball. And it, it truly is like that. Yeah, yeah. To, to society. Not only that, they pay you a wage and they teach you how to live That's and right. you get out and you become a good citizen. Yep. When that whole D.C. thing, when the National Guard and everybody went up there, they were like, it's taken over. I was like, man, those are our greatest citizens. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> the city is literally occupied by our greatest citizens. That's right. So, I mean. And I'll tell you what, just a little side story. They're, they're everywhere. And in our short little stint here in Austin, we spent a few days there. And... Um, the two bartenders that just happened to talk to, one of them, Alessandro, was a swick, ah, small yeah. boat guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you were an instructor at one point when he was there. Yeah. And Morgan. Um, Morgan. Yeah. And uh, he, this guy, he took shrapnel to the face, got shot in the hip, pelvis, and um, you know medically retired. He was a bartender, but he took the VA loan. And has a number of investment properties, and it's just what a phenomenal human being. And the smile on this guy's face—you never went no, knew he went through all that. He just happened to ask me what I was doing because I had my book on the bar and I was trying to take a cool photo 
to, to post on, you know, Instagram and he just said, Hey, what are you up to? And I mentioned I was coming up, you know, here, yeah. just a great story. And then the other guy was also a Navy guy, Roland. Well, had, like, we got to fight in Babylon. Like we went all the way back to the beginning and fought there and then come back here. And now we're sitting in this yeah. or at a bar drinking a beer. Yeah. I mean, around it's on the other side of Earth. Yeah, when you said Babylon, <laughs> you're referring to the yeah, Middle East. But when we yeah. all went back there to, to yep. kind of set up shop, I mean, that's how yep. I always looked at, when, at those adventures. Just our yeah. uniforms were different. We were just sitting back in there because the fighting's the same. Yeah, and um, and that's how it felt biblical when you, you know said what? Babylon. It felt biblical when well, you know, it is. You if you yes. look at the maps in the back Bible, in time, I mean, yeah. it is. Yep. Y'all, that's where y'all were. That's right. I mean, Tower of Babel, I believe. Yeah, one of those. It was all in the Iraq, and I mean. If you look geography-wise, I mean, it, it. it mm-hmm. was part of the Bible times. Yeah. I mean, that's where y'all were. And fighting has been going on there since then. I know. And that's there's why it's so much. Yeah. Nothing grows there. Well, but Unreal. And there's also so much darkness there because yeah. of that. I mean, it's been going on for so long. It's like they don't even know how to not fight. Know that. They fight. It's like this constant negative energy mm-hmm. is just brewing there. Yeah. And there will never be peace. It's like, you know, it's ain't normal, right? Yeah. That's like the buildings ain't supposed to be blown up. You're not supposed to die. Yeah. yeah. You feel the unrest. You feel the unrest. <laughs> and I drove throughout so much of the country and even, you know, just going on convoys into Baghdad and into the surrounding towns. Just wild, Terrible. you know. There's smell burning all that trash, yep. in the streets, just yep. walking like, like thigh high. Yep. And, and, then, and then there's these beautiful children running alongside the convoy with smiles on their face. And, you know, you see that light, but then you, you just feel the unrest. Mm-hmm. It's just an un, unrest. Well, it just goes to show children are born innocent. Yeah. And then our environment and everything just yeah. warps them into... That's funny. I, was just, I don't know why I thought about some pointed out to me. It's almost like the, the unrest has been there so between them so much that they, they bring us in so them kids will have somebody else to be mad at so <laughs> yeah. it'll stop. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because they don't know. I mean, there's no difference. That's right. But if something, if there's unrest already and then you throw like something like us in there, it just causes, I mean, we, we had to literally stop everybody and bottom line is, man, just be kind. If I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 So how many deployments did you do in total? Two deployments. Total about a year and a half, I think, deployed. Certainly enough. Yeah. Occupied a big part of my life. And, you know, Katie and I, there's a a few, you know, funny parts of our story that, that I throw in the book. And one of them is that no one knew, but we eloped right before I left for the first deployment to, to Fallujah because... I just wasn't going to leave town without having that girl solidified. And uh, there was other reasons, too. You know, the communication was better. I knew she could be in the wives club and have that, you know, ability to just get updates and things like that. So we only we we only told a couple select people until I wrote the book. So that was kind of fun. People texting us. You did what? But we were married by this, you know, the second deployment. So that was rough. Uh, just, um, and, and that's, that's actually when I wrote the book is on the second deployment. I took my field journal and memories were stirred as I was, you know, sitting in, I was at Al Qaim on that second one, much less violent, much better gear. <laughs> felt like, man, walls. Oh, felt like I was traveling in a tank in, in the, uh, the MRAPs that we were in uh, on that second deployment. 
and I was in a, a little bit safer area. I was a lieutenant commander by that point, so I was kind of in a field ER setting, but still just killing that time of deployment. That's, that's the roughest part sometimes, killing mm. time. So writing the book was really therapeutic for me. And I brought that field journal and I'd just sit there and I'd just, you know, put myself back in the events and, and write about them. And uh, it helped, you know, it, it helped me kind of get through that second deployment. I didn't know at the time that what I was going to do with, you know, I call it a book, but it was more like chicken scratch in sequence. And then um, when I got back and continued just to kind of process my life and the events and those kind of things, I, I at one point decided to try to do something professional with it and have fun with it. And, and that's where I wrote it and rewrote it and you name it a million times. And the publishing world is, as you know, ridiculous. It's impossible to get somebody to take you seriously. But finally, someone did and I got an agent and, and they published a story, which is, of course, very fun and a relief for my wife because Aww. she's like, okay, enough writing. That's You're done. Awesome. Time out. Yeah, thanks for your service, though. That's, that's the that's hardest right. job. You can, right. I did, but seriously, mm-hmm. over there, that phone call back, that, that was probably some of the best tech. In the beginning, we didn't have that. Yeah. Or the slow mail. Yeah. <laughs> so when you came back, that was your seven years of commitment. Yeah. How did that end? Yeah. It ended by a brief conversation of, hey, babe, I can uh, re-up. They're going to offer me some good money here, or I can resign my commission. And, you know, at that point, there was still a deficiency of, of Navy physicians or military physicians in general. And I knew that I was going to go back again. Also, I had experience. Do they like that? <laughs> and um, in fact, that's how I got in the second deployment. I had arrived at Port Wyneme. The commanding officer said, good I'm to go, there. Doc. Good to go for probably a couple years, two weeks later. Sorry, I lied. You got to go back in. So I knew I'd go again. And, you know, that that's okay. That's what, what was needed. But we were ready for, to try to start having a family. And, uh, you know, being in the military makes you grow up quick. I felt like I had a lot of good skills and I wanted to open a medical practice. So I got out and opened a medical practice and felt well equipped to do that. You can't appreciate the <laughs> skills you get in there because everyone you're around is, is it's, it's your environment, right? The yeah. minute you step, I try to tell guys this all the time, the minute you step out back into this world with those skills, it's like. Do you see a lot of veterans in your practice? I, I do by default because I have a, a pretty big practice and, um, you know, we live in Ventura County and um, the Navy base is there, Port Wainemi, so we'll get a lot of retirees, active duty, or uh, some of the active duty members, their their uh, dependents can come to my practice and I make sure, you know, I take the TRICARE insurance. I was that, just about to say, do you take TRICARE? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's a lot of fun to, you know, to interact with them that way. And then, you know, with um, certainly keeping my foot in the door and trying to do that a lot more so. Um, with the book and just meeting people. That's one of the greatest things about this journey. You know, I'm sure you guys have experienced this. You just meet all these great people from all over the world, Mm -hmm. travel a little bit and make connections, you know, that you never would have before. Yeah. So you get to do that a lot. Yeah. Golly, what a crazy... Now I can sit here and talk stories about a day in that medical... It's only because I got to go in there and hang out with y'all and work that I know those cool... Those... Man... (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for coming out here and doing this, by the way. Oh, of course. When we, we got the chance to jump on a plane and, you know, come to Texas, which I've only driven through on my way to Tulane. Yeah. 
which was the longest drive of my life. It's the longest stretch. Oh my gosh, that that drive. It's terrible. Yeah. If, you're, if you've never done, I mean, it's hard. Yeah. Because <laughs> New New Orleans is five hours from here, so yeah. that's a long way. Yeah. Back in the day yeah. before XM radio and gas <laughs> yeah. stations, and freaking yeah, man, yeah, right. Tapes, tapes, playlists. <laughs> <laughs> Our oldest went to LSU, so mm-hmm. he just graduated in May. So we made the trip to Baton Rouge often. And nothing compared to that West Texas freaking. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think that drive is long. Oh, it felt like it. Texas itself felt like it was going to never end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> of all your experiences, what is your greatest piece of never quit advice for our listeners? Wow, great question. I, I think I might sum it up. In the time of your greatest fears, God will meet you there and you, and you will persevere. And um, you just don't know when that'll happen. You don't know when, and it doesn't have to be, it's not necessarily fear like I, I just got hit with a, a bolt of lightning and, um, or I'm scared because I was in a car crash. It could be whatever you're going through in your life, emotionally, physically, you name it. And um, it, it, you may not see it coming, but it'll come. Or the people who need, need to help you get through, it'll come. And, and you'll persevere because that's what, that's what human, humans do. That's what the human spirit's all about. And, um, and, and that's what I've learned, I think, about myself, even when I didn't know I could. Were you raised in a home that really drove faith into your family? Or was that something you got when you were in the military? Yeah, a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, some people don't even believe in God or sure. anything, and then they they find God through yeah. experience, and some people have that foundation. Yeah. It was a little bit of both for me. I was raised Catholic. I was an altar, boat, altar boy and all that. I'm and, Catholic, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, so that was great, and I lo- you know, love that part of my upbringing, those, those foundations. Um, for me, I wasn't quite connecting as a young man uh, in the Catholic Church, and so uh, when I was in, in um, college, just my first year, or even late high school, I just started going to local Christian church. They had a youth group, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it, it just was kind of one of those groups where it was different from anything I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, We played sports. It, that was the first thing we did. Played sports and laughed and talked, and then we got into some of the serious stuff and some of the life lessons, and it just became a little more applicable to my life, and I found ways that I could put it in my world and execute it a little mm-hmm. bit more. So that faith took me into the military and took me into what I was doing and what I did, but I think it also allowed me, when the time came, to have some real serious conversations with God and be pissed, get upset, no, I'm not perfect, cuss, whatever. Mm-hmm. Do what I needed to do because I know that God doesn't care about any of that stuff as long as you're moving towards light, as long as you get there. Right. That's all he cares about. So I just want to get there. Yeah, that's and funny. I, My, a friend of mine the other day, we were talking about youth in the Catholic Church and how they don't really have anything. <laughs> and so that's how, like in our generation, that's how so many people, myself included, were pulled away from the Catholic Church because of all the non-denominational youth groups. Yeah. They like stole us. Yeah, they killed it. <laughs> they do. And Knocked they, it out of the park. They make it so relatable. And then 
just recently I've gone back to the Catholic church and I'm like, we need a youth group because that's how so many kids have been taken away from the church. And anyway, but it's funny that you say that because it's something I've been talking about this mm-hmm. week with my good friends that they are starting a youth group at the church. I'm like, yep, they need it. <laughs> yep. Just brings it into their world and yeah. it makes it know, less scary and mm-hmm. less obscure too. Yeah. You know, we can apply it. Right. That's awesome. Well, it's supposed to be applied at different ages. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. And it's poetry. When you read it, it tells you something different at every age and That's experience. Right. And a lot of people are like, oh, I can't read it. I was like, man, it's written for a human. Yeah. <laughs> to read right. and understand. So the stuff That's in right. there is kind of plays out the way it does. Yeah. And it's been translated. Yeah, yeah. But it's still written and then for the humans. People will pray for, it's like, I really want this. And then they'll be put in a situation that produces that. And then they'll pray to get out of that. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. it's usually always going to be the opposite of what you think gets you what you want. That's right. And then once you understand that, then it kind of it's like, and that comes with age. First forty years are in darkness. That's right. I was like, in our family, zero to forty, no wife, no kids, trying to figure out what you're not. And life has a way, just like gold in the fire, right? It That's right. Chips away, and then those moments remind you of them and make you appreciate them. And lessons, just like in school, man. Sometimes they come, and you don't want to. A lot of times they do. And then after a while, that wisdom sets in. And it's just like every day yeah. is something great. And you nailed it on the head. You, you know, you pray for it, and then you, sometimes you get it. But, but then you some, well, did I really want it? Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> and, and I didn't want a, it like that. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, <laughs> right. I envisioned it. Right. <laughs> that's exactly the way, you know, my, my medical career. You know, I prayed and tried so hard to get into medical school. And again, you know, I just... I. I I I was good, but then man, UC Irvine, and then I'm with the best of the best, and I did that, and I was very proud and yet humble about it, and get to Tulane, and then it's the best of the best, and um, and so to finish that road at the end of that l- little journey, I was like, wow, I made it, I finally made it, because I knew once I got through medical school, okay, I can be a doc now, mm-hmm. I know I can practice my craft, and then I wanted the military too, one of those stars and stripes, you know, and I was the type. Of Guy who I'd, I'd pictured here the Top Gun theme song, you know the <laughs> right? the burn yeah. I hear that one, yeah, man, yeah, dude. <laughs> and that would get me through sometimes. You know, I remember thinking that when when I when I left Katie, I remember just feeling like, all right, game on, man, it's go time. And I'd hear the song in in, in the background as I was walking away from her. That's a true story. That is not made up, and that would keep me going. But then and then things got you know, rough. And I, and I would say, whoa, put the brakes on, put the brakes on. And that's the, that was the challenge. That's why the, those are there. Yeah. And then when you kind of go all the way back to the phone call and I hear their voice and it's like, hey, everything's great here. You <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? It's just you needed it, in the darkest moments. It's funny. The messenger, how it shows up. It's like, that's all I needed to I'm hear. curious with your being a doctor and having all the military experience, I have seen especially with Marcus and a lot of the other um, SEALs that have gotten out, the functional medicine has really helped more than like the old traditional, you know, throwing opiates at them and stuff like that. Do you, do you mess around with any of like the more holistic functional medicine stuff or are you old school pain pills, Xanax, that kind of prescription? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Huge topic. The, the answer is yes. And, you know, I, I would tell you that I like to practice the best of both worlds. Mm-hmm. And um, 
that's not easy to find because, you know, a lot of good medicine is, hey, this is what we know. This is what science has shown us or just trial and error time and time again. This is what we know and this works. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that. And good medicine should be a lot of that. But then there's some things we don't know and that there's not a test for um, or just hasn't been tried as much yet. That, and it still needs to be explored. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do want that in between, you know, because I'll tell everybody, you know, with medicine, taking medicines, drugs, whatever, none of them come with a free ride. You know, they're all, they all have their downsides. Even the best medicines or antibiotics in the world, they have their downsides. So a lot of people want that in between. So I, I do try to search for that. In my practice, we actually have uh, physical therapy. I have a staff physical therapist who are doctors now. They get that credential. And then my business partner is a chiropractor. And um, together, the, the three of us, we, we work in unison with our patients. A lot of them will see oh, both cool. of us. Yeah. Like a mind, body, and spirit all, all yeah. counseling together for that's one. Right. That's right. And we'll bounce things off yeah, each yeah, other, yeah, too. Right. It's great. And, um, you know, I have, a, I have a little pharmacy in my office. It's got traditional medicines, and I've got supplements. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you're a healer. I try to be. There's a difference. Because most doctors, yeah. like traditional MDs, are they're not trying to heal, not knocking the doctor thing, but yeah. like old school, it's more about just like getting you through that moment of pain or whatever you're yeah. feeling instead of actually finding the root cause and healing it. Yeah. Well, doctors grow too. You, right. There's different kinds of doctors. So in the beginning, just like going through phase training, I learned how to patch them up. There's yeah. the patch up doc, then there's yeah. the mm-hmm. get you well, then the healer, then the one that just kind of masks right. the symptoms problem. I mean, that's just... That's right. The highest, highest honor you get is that one. You're, you're a thousand percent correct. And, you know, I don't take that with a grain of salt because the moment you stop trying to, to learn new things and grow as a physician is the moment you should retire because it's ever-changing. That's what I love about it. You know, you, and it's frustrating, too, because you have to, you know, take your boards every seven to ten years and pass all the standards and, you know, show you're smart again. But then there's all this stuff that's that's outside of that that you need to learn and know and continue to grow or or you get left behind. And I love that part about it. But like even the food course and all that. Yeah, that. yeah. Everything, right? I mean, it's got to be the hardest profession because the human body changed. It, that's right. It changes, it shifts. Our understanding of it and how to, how to treat it, how to heal it. And, you know, to your point, Melanie, not just treat the disease and boom, okay, treated that disease, now we're done, you know, looking beyond it. How can you prevent things? Maybe how can you look towards the future of this person's, you know, health and wellness and, and help them prevent stuff that might be coming down the road? Um, and what Katie was bringing up, and I'm very proud of Tulane, they're one of the, they may be the first medical school in the country to um, incorporate culinary medicine or using food as medicine into their training and their curriculum. So I went back there a few years ago, and they have a culinary medicine center, and it's um, it's uh, offered through the med school, and you can take a certification in it, which I did, and um, it, it takes weeks and weeks and weeks. But part of it is you go there, and you go into a kitchen, and the professors have roundtable discussions, first about disease processes, and then you go cook. Oh, my God. And we did That's that. awesome. You go cook. That's really cool. It was we fantastic. really try to – we um, have a ranch up north, and we really try to, like – homestead you know try and raise our own food and yeah. during quarantine we fought we legit like old school farm <laughs> we had <laughs> Love it. a cornfield and potato like we had everything grew on green beans and tomatoes literally grew on food and i love the idea of just going back to 
old school, you know, not things out of a frozen bag or whatever, but just. Well, I mean, everything that we. Healthy that way. The earth is a source of life, not a resource. Everything we exhale, excrement, it feeds off of. Everything yeah. it ex- we feed off of. Mm-hmm. So vegetables and everything that grows there, there's fuel for the. We do the hydro. Uh, hyper, uh, aquaponics. Aquaponics. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like where you, you eat the vegetables because the uh-huh. earth grows it to fix what's wrong with you. Cause you, you go to the restroom, it feeds that kind of one big cycle. Cycle oh, of life, right? That's great. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And, and, that. and that, that's true. That's why they say it's like eat the vegetables and stuff where, you, where it grows around you because mm-hmm. it's growing it for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We it, even it have our own bees. It's off of. We just and like you, when you travel and, and experience all that other stuff, it's one thing. It truly is. But that, that shortened it back. It's making it, That's how it started. That's right. That's how it kind of repeats itself. Circle it's of life. Yeah, circle of life. And, you know, you talk about whole foods and all those terms. It's just as it was born from the earth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some stuff we can add to it, you know, some spices, herbs, what have you. Those things aren't that harmful. Of course, you got to watch the salt. But as they're born from the earth, as much as possible before being processed through a million machines and dehydrating that vegetable or that nutrient and taken, you know, we didn't realize this, you know, of course, and but now we do. When you process something, the nutrients are removed. Mm-hmm. Fact. And, you know, we just didn't know that. Even in, you know, 1980s and, and, and 90s, you know, the low-fat craze, where everything became high-carb, just carb, yeah. carb, carb, sugar, 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 and that took all the nutrients out of it. I literally grew up on TV dinners. Yeah. Like. <laughs> so good. They were being hunger man, Swanson's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was what... <laughs> We ate for dinner. A steak with gravy and the corn. <laughs> in a weird way, those tray rats out, out there in the field compared to the MREs, man. Bro, I would, right? I would, they're not bad. <laughs> they probably last forever. I don't even think Full about that. I was like, hey, what do you want me to send you? Man, send me a bunch of hunger man dinners. <laughs> That's awesome. How can um, people support you? Where, they, where can they get the book, follow you, all that jazz? Yeah, everything can be found at coderedfalusia.com. And... Um, Social media, love followers, send me messages. Uh, I'm at uh, Doc Wilkes One on Instagram and Donley Wilkes on Facebook, and I love talking to anybody and everybody from all over. So has TV come you. after you yet for a, do a series? Nothing serious, you know. If you've heard it though, if it's in a whisper, it's already going. A few people have whispered, okay, Jack, that's and all I need to hear. you know, I try yeah. not to take that too far. If, if just, you, let it, just let it carry, it carry itself. Yeah. yeah if that's, thank you for that advice because sometimes I don't know what to do or how to handle it, but I'm just, I'm just loving the ride. Yeah. yeah. That, I, I had to learn that one. I'm sorry. You know, Gary Sinise. Yeah. And he, yes. he endorsed the book. Yeah, oh, nice. Yeah. He's the one who reached out to, Love that guy. to introduce you. He is so. just fine human. He is. And little side note on him. I met him on the second uh, deployment in Alkheim. He was on his USO tour, and uh, we had a little quick laugh. He was just coming through. We took a picture, and he asked where I was from. I, I said Malibu because we were living in Malibu at the time. Katie was working in L.A. I was going up to Wainimi, and he said, well, what did you do wrong to get out here? Malibu Doc. <laughs> Never heard of that type thing. We had a laugh, and then come home, exit the military, uh, move to our current home, and we're out at dinner one night in Westlake Village, and there's Gary you know, with his family. And I said, Katie, I've got to go say hi to him. You know, this was probably a few years, three to four, maybe, after I'd seen him in Iraq. So he's, he's on his way out. I said, hey, Mr. Sinise, just got to say hi. If you don't remember, you know, I met you out. And, and he did, remembered. He took 15 minutes just standing there Aww. talking to me. Just so generous with his time. I was trying to step away. And we just hung out and talked. 
and um, over the years, we just kind of kept in, in contact. And, um, and, you know, when I wrote the book, he was kind enough to take a look at it and, and endorse it and That's just awesome. support it. Yeah. Wonderful human. Tell him, say, hey, I need you to play me in that show. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I'll be a consultant on the deal. <laughs> I told Because those are the best stories. Come out. I'm not even yeah, kidding. They are the greatest. I joked with her one time. I said, Gary, uh, you know, you might have to play General Mattis. It won't be much. Be fun, yeah. But I'm, I'm going to ask. <laughs> Everyone loves a hospital drama. The ones out there, I mean, seriously. And that's yeah. real life. Yeah. 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 That's really cool. Thank you for coming on and You're sharing welcome. your story. Thanks for having us. Been I a real fun trip for us and we've just we've loved it. Even the drive, you know, from Austin. You're just going through the back roads. A lot yeah. of fun. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's gorgeous. Nice. It reminded me, of course, it's been years, but when I, I made the trip a couple times to Tulane. And it, a lot of it looks the same. It's just yeah. miles of nothing, you know, yeah. and then you'll turn down this road and these beautiful oaks and the the Spanish moss and your guys' area is beautiful. Yeah. They, so I'm from Louisiana originally, and um, when we pulled onto this property to look at it, that's what got me. I was like, yep, this is home. Yeah. This is where we're settling down. We passed the gate, and I said, right, that was it. Turn around. Yeah. And then you see it just goes. That's fantastic. Yeah. We don't have property where we come from. It's just <laughs> houses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, out here. Too many houses. Like if, you, if you're coming down the driveway, people will turn around and think they got lost accidentally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> back up in here. Thank y'all. Yeah, that was awesome. Of course. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the podcast. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, CastBox, anywhere you get your shows. We can't wait to see you guys next week. Dr. Wilkes, thanks again for joining us. Thank you, Andrew. Loved every minute.